letting go of every single dream. I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war, I confess. My hands are weary, I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight. No matter what I've faced, you're by my side. When you don't move the mountains, I needed you to move. When you don't pipe the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers, as I cry out to you. Truth is you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead you have not seen. So in all things be my life and bread. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. When you don't move the mountains, I needed you to move. When you don't part the boys and girls. We've got Children's Church, second grade and below. Miss Susan Attaway, I believe, is teaching it today. And she will meet you at the back door or right out in the hallway, second grade and below. Wonder, boy, you look like you've got a crew today. Oh, you want to follow her right on back to the back. There you go. Thank you, Miss Rhonda. That was some kind of song. I like that. I found myself wanting to do a jig, so... <clears throat> I better stop, they're going to kick me out of the church. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, as you're turning there, I just want to 
thank the Lord for graciousness among His people. Um, we were supposed to have a baby dedication this morning, and I just completely forgot. And I want to apologize to the Cheney family, the Talley family, Megan and Tom Talley. Uh, you were right. You sent me a message, and, and I saw it, and I just forgot between three weeks ago and today. I am so sorry. And so we're going to have one next week, and it's going to be great and wonderful, and I appreciate your graciousness. They've been, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And uh, they've been very gracious to me this morning. So thank you very, very much. And I apologize. Uh, human, human, right? It's human to err and divine to forgive. So y'all are being divine right now. I appreciate it. Every successful army must have the proper armaments, right? They have got to have artillery. They've got to have the right guns. There must be a myriad of weapons to aid them in the battle. However, it takes more than guns to win a battle. Every good commander, every good uh, military leader would not just hand his soldiers guns and then say, all right, go find the enemy and shoot them. That, that's just not how it works. No, every good commander, every good military leader comes up with schemes, battle plans, or tactics. You know what a tactic is, right? It's something to defeat or outflank the enemy so you can win the war. Church, we are in a battle. Every moment of every day, we are in a battle, and it is a battle against our flesh, against our sinful nature. And our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, through his apostle Peter, has given us some battle tactics here today in verses 1 through 6, against the schemes of the enemy that wants to destroy us. He hates us. He loathes us. He wants everything about us to be destroyed. Our testimony, our very lives. And God has given us some battle tactics to look at. Let's look at our scripture, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Verse 4, In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men of the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for battle tactics that we find here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and really throughout Scripture. Battle tactics to fight in the spiritual war that we find ourselves in when we choose to say no to sinful temptation. Father, I pray that you would bring your word uh, in the forefront of our minds, that you would allow us to get a, a nugget of truth that we can take home with us. Heavenly Father, that we would be changed from the inside out this morning because of your word, because of your presence in this place. You are here, and we know it. May your name be lifted high above all other names. It is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, as we've discussed in the weeks past, anytime the scripture starts with that word, therefore, it is telling us to look back. We've got to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? 
And so when we take a look back, we're thinking, okay, what is Peter talking about? What does he want us to look back at? Well, thankfully, the author, Peter, gives us a glimpse of what he wants us to look back. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Well, so then we look back at some of the things that we've been looking at in the past weeks of Scripture. Verse 18, for instance, is perhaps the best place for us to look. What does he want us to see? Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. That's the same thing he just said in verse 1. What did he suffer for? He suffered once for all for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So when Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, he wants us to be reminded of the wonderful, beautiful, painful price that Christ paid for us for our salvation. He says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, and this is what we looked at last week, since he suffered the just for the unjust, so that through faith in his work on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb, we might be brought into relationship with God the Father that we were separated from because of our sin. This is the thought that Peter is pointing us back to and now connecting us to. He says, therefore, since Christ did this, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. Two important words there in verse 1 we need to make sure we understand. Arm yourselves, that phrase literally means equip, prepare, get yourself ready. It is a military term from the Greek culture. Arm yourselves. And then he says, with this same mind. And that word mind isn't talking about go get yourself a new brain, but literally mindset, way of thinking, intentions. Arm yourselves with the same mindset, same intention, the same attitude of Christ Jesus. And what was the attitude of Christ Jesus? You're worth my suffering on the cross to pay for the price of your sin. That was the mindset of Christ. He didn't do it because we earned it, but he did it because he loved us. And so here's the mindset I believe Peter wants us to arm ourselves with. If Christ thought you were worthy to suffer for on the cross because of his great love for you, surely I can suffer against the unrighteousness of sin for my great love for him. If he suffered for me, surely I can suffer for him. Now we've talked about this word suffering in uh, uh, previous weeks. What, what does he mean by this? And a lot of times he's talking about literal persecution, a physical persecution that the Christians in the first century were facing because they were taking a stand for the, name of the Christ, uh, for the name of Christ, and because of that stand they were taking, they were facing physical punishment from the Jews and also from the non-Jews. Everyone hated the Christians. And they were facing this persecution, and Peter is saying, despite what you're facing, arm yourselves for the spiritual battle, and your spiritual battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against uh, principalities, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, it's against this spiritual thing that's going on around you. And every time we choose to do battle, and every time you choose to do battle in this spiritual realm, every time you choose to say no to sin, no to temptation, prepare yourself for warfare. It's really the, really the, the idea that's coming at us here. Choosing to do battle against our flesh, against sin, brings all types of suffering as well. 
though we may never suffer for taking a stand for Christ because of the great freedoms we're given in this country, we do suffer every time we say no to sin. We suffer in the spiritual battle. We might suffer because people will look down on us because we don't join in their lifestyles. We're going to come to that, to that thought in just a moment. So we need to understand that when we face temptation and we deny that temptation or we quote scripture, we need to understand we begin suffering. Because I don't know about you, but anytime temptation comes my way and I seem to be successful and say no or quote scripture or pray to God and submit myself to God, I don't know about you, but temptation doesn't go away like a dog whimpering with its tail between its legs. It keeps chipping away. It keeps coming back. It keeps trying to steal my joy that I have in Christ away. Think about when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the garden or in the, in the wilderness. He didn't try just once, but he continued to hammer away at Jesus. Three times he quoted scripture at Jesus, trying to get Jesus to sin. And that's what temptation does to us. That's why it's a battle. It's a nonstop, constant battle that we are in. The battle against sin is often won or lost in the mind. And that's why we have got to arm ourselves with the proper mindset, with the proper state of mind, the proper attitude, and the attitude of Christ. That attitude that said, I will suffer on the cross because of my great love for you. Will you suffer against temptation because of your great love for me, Jesus Christ? Every born-again believer is a soldier for the cross, a soldier waging a spiritual battle being waged night and day every moment of the day. So soldiers of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, are you ready for this battle? Are you ready to take up arms against the enemy? I want to give you three battle tactics this morning to aid you in arming your minds for the battle that you should be fighting yourself in every moment of every day. A battle tactic, again, this is a scheme that the commander gives us to employ against the enemy to fight in the battle. Are you ready? Amen. Thank you. One of you is ready. Battle tactic number one. We have been liberated from the reign of sin. Another way we might put it is we're dead to that. We're dead to that. Last week we tackled a tough scripture. Remember back in chapter 3? Verse 1 has the same potential to be a tough scripture. When you read the very end of verse 1, I don't know if you caught it, but he said, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It almost makes it sound like if you undergo any kind of physical suffering for your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will be delivered from all temptation to sin for the rest of your physical life. That, you might be tempted to read that and think, well, that, is that what Peter's saying? Since I suffer in the flesh, I'll no longer be tempted? I don't believe that's Peter's intention. After all, he is the very one that suffered physically and spiritually for his faith in Jesus Christ, being beaten and jailed on a number of occasions. And yet we read in Galatians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul had to rebuke him for his sinful hypocrisy against his fellow Jews and Gentile believers. So Peter is certainly an example of how the sin nature continues in us after our salvation and suffering in Christ Jesus. Instead, what this is, is a reference to our being made in one with Christ Jesus. When we surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Bible tells us that we have united with Christ, not only in His life, but in His death. 
specifically, I want to give you a couple of scriptures. You write them down. Go look them up later on. Romans chapter 6 talks all about this. We're united with his death. But chapter 6, verse 6 through 7 specifically says this. Listen real careful. We know that our old self was crucified with him, Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Galatians 2.20 puts it like this. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. We have died to sin, and it no longer reigns over us. And so Peter certainly isn't saying that you will no longer sin, but what he is saying is, is that you cease to be reigned by sin. I heard another pastor put it like this. Before Christ, sin reigned over you. After Christ, sin no longer reigns over you, but it remains in you. We continue to deal with the sin nature. The apostles tell us that. The apostles live that for us. But it no longer reigns. It overrules over us. Our death in Christ frees us from the reign of sin in our life. Christ's death becomes our death, and therefore we are no longer under the rule of sin. And so looking back at chapter 4, looking at verse 2, this comes to fruition. He who has suffered in the flesh, remember, by faith we have suffered as Christ suffered, we've been crucified as He crucified, has ceased from sin that He no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. We no longer live for the world because we have died with Christ on the cross. Instead, we live for the God who freed us. Arming ourselves with this truth that we are free, that we are no longer reigned over by sin, is a mighty battle tactic. Because a lie that the world, that our flesh, that sin uses in our life, is that God's commands prohibit us from living a free life. That's, that's a lie of the enemy. Oh, living by God's commands and you are prohibited really having a free life. But that's a lie. It is Christ who frees us. And here's how I mean that. You see, when we sin, we get a sense of artificial joy. And that artificial joy comes because we gratify some fleshly nature. The Bible even says sin is pleasurable for a season. And when we experience that pleasure, when we experience that gratification in the flesh, we get this sense of joy. But it's an artificial joy. And how do we know? Because that joy ceases. It dissipates. It, it disappears. And so what do we do? We go back to sin. We go back to gratifying the flesh. We go back to filling our pleasure need so we can experience that artificial joy. And what ends up happening is sin begets sin. You see, that little sin that gave you that pleasure no longer fulfills your uh, artificial joy. You have to do more and more and more and more. Before you know it, one little sin, as the world calls it, leads to big sins. You're no longer satisfied with looking at images on the Internet. Now you've got to go experience physically what you've been looking at on the Internet. Talking about pornography and sexual sin. You're no longer satisfied with a sip of wine every night. Now you can go buy a bottle or a box of wine and enjoy all that you can. And that's how sin ties us down. 
the artificial joy that comes from the gratification of flesh. But in Christ, we are freed from being tied down that way. In Christ, we experience authentic joy. And authentic joy doesn't come from filling a pleasure or gratifying the flesh. It comes from satisfying the soul. And that satisfaction in the soul comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know why it's there? Because He's there. Because when we believe in Christ and surrender to Him as Lord and Savior, He comes and then dwells within us, the Bible tells us. He satisfies our soul, soothes our soul. There's an old hymn, something about the balm of Gilead. Talking about Jesus soothing our hurts and our flesh and our nature. Sin no longer reigns over us. What a mighty, mighty, mighty battle tactic. And, and, and get this, by the way, our fight is not for freedom. Our fight is in freedom. We're already free. We're just battling the fleshly nature that remains in us, that wants to be gratified every day. Well, I spent way too much time on battle tactic number one. Let's go to battle tactic number two. You ready? Two people. Great. Sin is a waste of time. Think about that mindset. Get that mindset as you're tempted by that sin, just going back at it and saying, what a waste of time you are, sin. The Apostle Peter states in verse 3, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. And that word of Gentiles, he's not picking on a certain ethnicity. That Greek word is the word ethnos. It talks about uh, uh, just about any ethnicity, but when it uses it in the New Testament, it is talking about the lost. In fact, some of your Bible translations will say pagans. And that's a word that talks about unconverted ones, ones who are not following the ways of God. And what he is saying is, what a waste of time it is to continue to live the life of one who does not believe in Jesus Christ. But just in case his readers were doubting him, Peter then lists the lifestyles of the Gentiles, not as, again, as a particular race or ethnicity, but again, telling us this is how the lost people live. And what does he give us? He gives us this list. Now, in my translation, it says, lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about each one of those, but for the sake of time, I want to encourage you to just maybe go do a little research in your concordance or in Bible scriptures about what these are. Real quickly, lewdness is, is a license to sin. It's basically telling your flesh or your flesh telling you you should be able to do whatever you want to do. Lust, generally we, we associate that with sexual lust, enticement of the, of, the, of the flesh in that way. But really lust can be applied to any fleshly indulgence. You can lust after food and become a glutton. Drunkenness, this literally translates to overflow with wine. Revelries, some of your Bible versions say orgies, and, and that has again a sexual connotation to it. But the overtone of this word is not just uh, sexual, but it's a broad term speaking of the excess of overflow fleshly desires, doing what comes naturally as much as possible. My version says drinking parties. Uh, some of yours might uh, have a different word there. The implication there is it's, a, uh, it's not good enough to just get drunk, but i got to drag down a bunch of friends with me. You know the old saying, misery loves company. Abominable idolatries. As Christians, we know we're supposed to worship God and God alone. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
the idea here is that any form of affection or worship or service or effort given to any other entity or person is a form of worship. Here, here, here's, what I, here's what we're trying to say, okay? And, and by the way, in 2,000 years, has much on this list changed? We're real creative, right? I mean, we, we were able to go to the moon. We were able to create smoked meats. But when it comes to sin, we're, we're still doing the same things they were doing 2,000 years ago. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is not an exhaustive list of what all lost people do. In fact, if you're like me, you might look at this list and say, I don't see things that I used to do before Christ. And that's kind of the point. But just real quick, th- this is a broad list for us to see a sense of, of before Christ, what we did was we just fulfilled the fleshly lust. These are things that speak to excess, and not just that they're wrong because you go in excess, but that it's all about the flesh wanting more and more and more and more and more. Try to get that gratification. And what a waste of time it is to spend time and energy and resources going over gratifying the flesh. Why? Because it will never truly be gratified. It will always want more and more and more and more. We may have used to look at these things in the light of the world. We may have looked at this list and looked at them the same way the world looked at. Drunkenness, well, that's just having a little fun. It's just living life, right? Carpe diem, that's a real popular term. Sowing our wild oats. But after Christ has opened our eyes and showed us what a waste of time these things are, and hopefully we can look back on our life before Christ and see how much time we spent on these things and we have that mindset. What a waste of time that was. And then go forward in our relationship with Christ with that same mindset. Thank you, God, for redeeming my time that I no longer waste on these these lifestyles, on these sins, that you have redeemed me and not only redeemed my soul, but you have redeemed my time and I no longer waste my life pursuing what the flesh wants, but now I pursue what the soul wants and it wants you. What a powerful battle tactic to remind ourselves what a waste of time these things are. Battle tactic number three. Are you ready? When we wage war, against our sinful nature, it is a witness to the lost. It is a witness to the lost world around us. And this battle tactic not only helps us in our spiritual battle, but it also helps us fulfill the great commission. Go and be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. Go and spread the gospel. That's our job. And when we do battle against the sinful nature within us, then we are a witness to the lost world. How? How has that happened? Number one, because literally we witness against their sin. Paul says in verse, or Peter says in verse 4, In regard to these, talking about those sinful lifestyles, they, the pagans, the lost people, think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Speaking evil of you. There's some really interesting words there. Real quick, for sake of time, let me go through these, okay? They will think you are strange. They will think you are strange because you don't chase after the things that they chase after. They 
will think it is strange because you don't indulge the flesh like they indulge it. Why will they think it's strange? Maybe because you used to. Maybe because they remember the day when you went out partying with them, but Christ has changed you and you no longer do that. The world will always be amazed when we do not go after the same things they go after, and they will think, why aren't you having fun? They will try to hit you with the same spiritual lies that the enemy is hitting you with. But believe me when I say that it is strange because they want you to go hand in hand with them. Remember, misery loves company. You know what they say regarding misery loves company? It doesn't really love it because it loves you. It just wants you to be miserable with them. That's the truth about that saying. The flood of dissipation talks about that. Misery. You see, that word dissipation, it means worthless or reckless. Some of your versions might say debauchery. And basically, it's a way of living that gives no thought to what's next. It's some of the same language that was used to describe what the prodigal child did when he went off from his father's house and spent his inheritance. It is literally translated, the overflow of wasteful living. Do you have a lost friend whose life is just a complete mess as a result of their sinful living? Or do you remember a time when your life was a complete mess because of sinful living? You don't have to point it out. They notice it. And they're often trying to spin it or solve it by their own creative methods. But you and I have discovered that the solution is turning your life over to Christ and see the waste of time and life that sin is in our lives and living a life as if you are fulfilled and more fulfilled now on this side of Christ than you once were living without Christ and living for the sake of your flesh. And they need to discover this. Peter says that likely, though, they won't. And instead, what does he say at the end of verse 4? They will speak evil of you. I had a lot of friends in high school, my classmates, that called me goody two-shoes and preacher boy because I didn't go to all the wild parties. Young people, more than likely, you will lose friends more than you gain them because you choose to follow Christ instead of going to the wild party that your friends are wanting you to go to. Older folks, you'll lose friends too when you deny them the the gossip or the the horrible speaking or maybe the coarse joking that your friends want to tell you and you say, I don't want to hear that. I'm dead to that. That no longer reigns over me. Anytime we say, I don't want to follow that lifestyle anymore, I want to follow the life I have in Christ, it's going to be a witness against their sin, and they're not going to like it. And they're going to speak evil against us because it makes them feel uncomfortable. It's also a witness regarding the coming judgment. How exactly do we witness to them about the coming judgment? Well, I don't want you to go around saying, God is going to judge you for what you're doing. (laughs) That's not really an effective witness. Although if they ask you, why am I facing this heartache? You can certainly witness to them by saying it's a consequence of of your choices. I'm sorry. You're in jail because you chose to drive while drunk. You lost your family because you chose to cheat on your spouse. uh, You're completely broke because you spent all your money on drinking parties and and orgies or whatever word you might want to use there. You have an STD because you chose to live life that way. The thing is, though, we don't have to tell people that. I think, I believe, deep down, they know it. 
You see, the Bible tells us, and we don't have time to go there, Romans chapter 1, go look at it yourself, that every human is given an innate knowledge of good and bad, an innate knowledge that there is a God, that it should cause them to go seeking after Him. And I believe with that, we are also given the innate, the born with knowledge that we will face consequences for the life we live. We will, uh, we will reap what we sow, to use an old phrase. I believe we're all born with this, this same kind of mentality. And so when we start facing the consequences for our li sinful lifestyle, I don't believe it's solely for the sake of punishment. Because if God was only interested in punishing the lifestyles of the sinful, then he would just go ahead and send them to hell. Now get this, this is the thought that I had, and I, I really believe this. Consequences to our sinful choices are actually a grace from God because they are a foretaste of the divine judgment that one day the lost will face. And what God is doing by punishing the, or by sending these consequences upon lost people who continue in sinful lifestyle is he is trying to warn them. Judgment is coming. Turn to me because what you're facing now is only a taste of what you will face for eternity. And in the meanwhile, you are living a life free from sin, from the reign of sin in your life. You're living a life of being satisfied in your soul and the eternal, real joy. And you have this hope because one day you'll face judgment too, but you face judgment clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The question is, is are you living a life that is a witness to your lost friends? Are you living a life that is a witness against their sinful choices? Finally, Peter says in verse 6, essentially this, we are a witness for the gospel. We are a witness for the gospel. Read verse 6 again. He says, For this reason the gospel was preached, also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. For this reason. What's the reason? Because judgment is coming. Because God is bringing judgment. And because He is bringing judgment, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. You know who the dead are? All those without Christ. You know who the dead was? Me. Before Christ, I was dead in my trespasses. For the wages of sin are death. And because of that death, I was hopeless. And when I fight against the sin nature in me because it no longer reigns over me, I am a witness to the truth that the gospel has revived me. And what does he say? For... <clears throat> Preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When I live life fighting against the flesh, because the truth of the gospel says I am no longer dead in my sin, but I am alive in Christ, then I'm witnessing to the people around me. I'm a witness to them question is, am I waging war in such a way that I am a witness to those around me? Or am I just living life like they are? Is there enough of a difference in me because of my life in Christ, because of the genuine joy that I have experienced in Christ, 
that people will see that as a witness for the gospel? That's a tough question. Do they see the life surrendered to Jesus as Savior and Lord? You see, when I talk about salvation, I always say that statement. I don't know if you've caught that. Have you surrendered to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Because see, the Savior part is fire insurance. Oh, I got my fire insurance. I've got my salvation for hell. I won't go there. But the truth of the scripture is this, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It is not until we turn our life over to him as Savior and Lord that we have truly experienced born-again redemption salvation. But as long as we are living a life that says, well, I've got my salvation, I can go do whatever I want. And you know what? Sin is still reigning in us. Sin is still reigning in us. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning, a time for you to respond. And my question is, is Jesus your Savior and Lord? During this time of response, I mean, you can come forward and we can have a conversation with this, about this. If you've not surrendered to Him as Savior and Lord, we certainly we want to help you understand what that means, pray with you about that decision, because every person must make that decision to make Jesus Savior and Lord of their life. Christian, it may be that you have proclaim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but you're still just living life for yourself because God is still working on you. And, and, and really, God is working on all of us. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But you know, there's a difference between fighting against the flesh and struggling and all of that and just saying, you know, I'm just going to live life and enjoy it. Have you backslidden to a point where that's where you are? You're like, I've got my salvation check marked, but you know, as far as living for the Lord, I'm going to wait until I'm older. I don't know if any of you are going to get much older. That's supposed to be funny. Okay. A little levity, right? Listen, during this time of response, my prayer is that you would just respond as the Spirit leads you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for speaking in us and to us. Father, I pray we would all respond obediently as you lead. And it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.